Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. Today we're going to start a first in a three-part series about the divorce process. So in the upcoming episodes, we'll talk about stages two and three, which are the middle and the end stages of a divorce. And today we're going to talk about part one or stage one of a divorce process, which comes with all of the pieces of filing for divorce and what we call temporary hearings. So... What's what's new in Susan's life? Well, I think we both kind of had like some really stressful pet issues happening recently. I mean, yours more than mine, but um. yeah, we had a sad week. Um, we lost our dog Maya this week, and she was our she would have been twelve this July as a Great Dane. So we talked. We've talked a little bit about her on the podcast. So that was that was really tough, but. We found some silver linings in it. We were able to schedule an in-home euthanasia, which was really great for both my husband and I, and we think for Maya. Uh, We used a company called Angel Paws, which I had no idea existed, and she's been around forever. So we also actually just picked up her ashes yesterday, and we got some surprises, like a clay nose print and a clay paw print, which I would have never imagined doing that. So so yeah. we feel really lucky to have had a good experience with such a really sad experience. But yeah, what's up with yours? Well, so late in the, well, we got home from work one night <clears throat> and our cat, our senior cat that I think we've mentioned a few times too, he couldn't walk. And so we took him to the emergency vet and they really couldn't find anything wrong with him. So then we took him to our regular vet who still really couldn't find much wrong with him. And After you spent $8,000 at the emergency vet. Well, yeah, I think they just take the price of things and double it. Add 18 zeros. <laughs> and so, I mean, he's improving somewhat, but I mean, clearly something has happened with him. Um, he can walk now, but he can't really do the stairs. And so, you know, we had to have that conversation too of like, at what point do you continue, you know, just like with this poor quality of life for your pet? And so those are hard decisions and hard conversations. And how old is this cat? Um, he is 18. So do cat years have the same thing as dog years? You know, I, I don't know. Um, probably, probably similar. So your cat's like 252 years old. Because I think cat years probably are higher, right? Yeah, I don't. Because they live longer. I definitely, uh, yes, he's definitely a senior citizen. I mean, the senior cat food starts at seven years old. Oh, (laughs) shit. My cats are more than seven. Do I need to research this? Yeah. Uh, I'm on it. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Also, cats grieve, too. So, our cats are grieving the death of our dog. Yeah. Um, but now that I know they're senior cats and I didn't really know that, um, I got to feed them some different food. They need some cat therapy. Yes. Cat therapy. So speaking of therapists, uh, therapists can help you in the divorce process, right? Yes. 
So, all right, this first stage of the process, and when we talked about this topic, which is the process of divorce, we wanted to talk about the court process, right? What happens in court? What types of things are filed? And we ultimately broke it into these three sections. So this first part is kind of the beginning. So we'll call it beginning, middle, and end. Really creative. Um, So the beginning part is the stuff that happens at the beginning. And it gets us through what we call a temporary hearing. So when we talk about the beginning stage, we think about the initial filing of the document that gets filed in court. And that's where people, um, you know, when we talk to clients, they they think that, you know, that um, they're, they're, all their information is gonna be put in that initial filing, and that's just not the case. The filings at the beginning are really um, a lot of boilerplate language, but they're very broad. Like, we don't have to say, you know, I want the the Volvo and the toaster and the... I thought um, you said Volvo. <laughs> I don't know why I said Volvo. <laughs> Vol- Volvo. Do a lot of your clients have Volvos? I actually have a case right now where there is a Volvo. Do Vol- they still Vol- make Volvos? Yes. Okay. They're very, they're very uh, efficient cars, apparently. But anyway, so the, like that initial filing, right, is just very general. It's to, and that's what opens up the case. It's called a complaint for dissolution of marriage. Right. And so it's actually about a two and a half page document. It includes a lot of boilerplate information that's required by Nebraska statute to put the world on notice that you're filing for divorce. So a lot of times, yeah, our clients are saying, well, we need to put in there that my spouse was drunk last weekend. And the answer is, no, you don't. We'll save that for another time. Um, So that gets filed. And then, you know, assuming our client's the filing party, we talk a lot about the service of process. There's a lot of decisions (laughs) to make. That's like the first big decision you have to make in a divorce, right? Yeah, after you've decided to file uh, is how do you want the other person to get notice? Do you want them to be served by a sheriff? Or do you want to do it a little more informally where maybe it's emailed or mailed to them either from the lawyer or directly from their spouse? And I feel like this is an area where if people are getting along, generally we're, we're not going to serve them by a sheriff because that's kind of traumatic. It causes some stress. People feel you're bringing in third parties. So... Um, Unlike the movies where everyone gets served. Have you seen the the show on HBO called Divorce with Sarah Jessica Parker? And at one point, um, her husband gets served at a soccer game while he's (laughs) coaching the kids soccer. Maybe it's basketball. I don't know. But um, and I was like, oh, that is not what happens. Not very often. Right. You know, there's been times, though, where we've had to be creative to get someone served because either they're avoiding service or we really don't know where to find them other than some public places because we don't know where they're living. Maybe we don't know where their actual office is to serve them at work or something like that. So it is serving them at like a a thing that both parents would be attending for their kids. Yeah, and sometimes there's a timing issue that we need to get someone served right away to. Maybe there's an emergency issue, a custody issue that needs to be dealt with immediately, and we can't wait for them to decide whether they're going to accept service. Right. 
I remember, do you remember the one time we set up a fake meeting? Yes. At a Starbucks? Yes. And we got him served. And it was a, so it was a guy that owned his own website creation business. And we couldn't get him served and couldn't get him served because he was totally evading service. And so we finally had a friend call him and want to set up a meeting to create her website. And so we showed up at Starbucks and handed him the document. And that's all that service is, right? Is just literally handing the document. And then usually the constable or the sheriff is gonna file a return of service saying, I handed this document to that person. So it's also not that, it's not like the movies. Right. At the soccer game. It's, it's, and the court requires that the receiving party gets notice properly because that, that wouldn't be fair, right? To open up a lawsuit against someone and they never know about it. Right. So that's like the legal term due process. You have the right to know that there's a lawsuit against you. D U E, not D O O, do do. <laughs> Just do. D U E. Due process. And then process of law. Yeah. (laughs) Then that person in the divorce will file a responsive pleading and they can they have to respond to the initial complaint with an answer that either agrees or denies with all the allegations in the complaint. But what if they don't? If they don't file an answer? Well, so the court rules say they have thirty days to file an answer after they've been served. And if they don't, then they're in default of that rule, meaning they're not in compliance. And then the moving party, so the person who filed for divorce, can ask the judge to enter an order that gives that person everything they want. I mean, basically, you go in and say, because they didn't respond, they don't have a say any longer in the case, and I get what I want. Yeah, and I think something for everyone to remember that's really important is that a divorce is like any other lawsuit. So. You know, if you get hurt at Walmart and you sue Walmart, it's literally the same thing. You're suing your spouse for an action in court. Um, We sometimes just maybe don't call it that because it feels funny. Right. But it's the same thing. So everything you're getting on this three-part series is Civil Procedure 101. You can, like, take (laughs) two semesters of law school and mark it off your list right here. And maybe some family law classes. One credit. The family law. Okay, right. <laughs> this is this is more uh, than I probably learned in my family law class. So, yeah. So the other option to for your spouse to receive notice other than being served is by signing what's called a voluntary appearance, and that's literally just the name of a, a one page document. So I think the majority of the cases that we deal with, we have our spouse either hand deliver or it goes to the mail. And some of it depends a little bit if whether you're still living together, um, this document and with a cover letter from, you know, the attorney, our office sends this and says, Hey, we now represent your spouse. They want to divorce you. Can you sign this? And that usually is the point where that person will go hire an attorney and, and that attorney will tell them, yes, it's okay to sign this document. Yeah. I, um, I had a case where the our client was the filing party and she was convinced, you know, it wouldn't it would go smoothly because they had been talking about divorce, they maybe even had already separated and so she said just print out the paperwork and I'll I'll leave it for him at home and I'll let him know that it's going to be there for him to pick up and he picked it up 
and then said to her, well, I had a consult with a lawyer and they told me not to sign the voluntary appearance. And so she and I were, and she knew exactly what the voluntary appearance meant and the ramifications if he didn't sign it. We were thinking, why, why wouldn't you sign that? Why would an attorney tell you to wait to be served? So we serve them at the soccer game, right? I mean, <laughs> right. you kind of have at no their, choice. At their birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Some, I mean, yeah, It's it, don't make things harder than they need to be. Um, I, that doesn't happen very often, but, uh, and we don't do that. We don't tell people not to sign a voluntary appearance. Right. We like to review it before our clients sign it to make sure it really says, is what it says it, it is, but... You know, it's pretty. It's pretty boilerplate. It's pretty obvious. Like literally in the document, it says, "I'm only signing that I received this document, and I'm not signing any rights away of anything else." Right. Yeah. And then they, you know, that person, they can then countersue in the in the open case. They can countersue their spouse and ask for whatever it is they want in the divorce, and that's called a counterclaim. Right. And they would have also a, different from a cross claim. That's that you got to get your credit for civil procedure. Uh, yeah, cross so there, claim is where you would have more than two people in a law, lawsuit. Probably, we think. We yeah. maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to go back we to law really school. Know. <laughs> it's been ten and twenty years since we took the bar exam. Yeah. So after the the initial filings get made and the case is open, we know, then we know who the judge is, and we, um, you know, the, have a discussion then with our client about whether or not there should be a temporary hearing. Yeah. So when we talk to clients about what happens after we file, it's true that you find out so much information, and like you said, you find out who the judge is, which gives you a lot of information of kind of what direction a case is gonna go by way of scheduling, or maybe how far out a trial could get set, um, which also can lead to helpful discussions during settlement. But the other thing you find out too, typically shortly after you file is, is there gonna be another lawyer and who is that person? Um, so those two people in the case, yourself included, so three total people, the two lawyers and the judge, can make a really big impact on kind of the culture of what's, what's gonna happen in the case. Yeah, sometimes we have that conversation with clients when they start asking us questions to about the future of their case, and we have to say it depends, and a lot of what it depends on is who the other lawyer is. So I just had a, a few friends over, and hey, guess what? We're friends with other lawyers, right? Uh, I think our clients don't really understand that. And so this other, this other lawyer friend and I, we both do divorces in Omaha, and so we've been on the other side of cases before together. And wait, you can be friends with someone who you had a case against? Wait, you can have friends as lawyers? Uh, yeah, so we, we were... We, <laughs> well, we every can talk time, about that another time. <laughs> every time we get together, we say, I wonder if our clients knew that we were friends and hanging out right now, if like that would be okay with them. And it's just, you know, it's always really interesting. So we often will tell clients, okay, if so-and-so's on the other side of the case, um, we have a good working relationship with them. And this lawyer friend said that she tells people, I'm actually friends with Tracy and you have to be okay with that. And I thought, oh, that's really good. But the moment that something goes wrong in your case, you know, it gets blamed on. But you're friends with You're her. too friendly with that person. Yeah. 
So actually being uh, friends or friendly or amicable or kind or professional, all of those things with opposing counsel are actually a good thing. And when you're friends with the judge, it even helps more, right? You have this like smile on your face that's like, well, a Grimmy. lot, of, a lot of uh, people that I've practiced law with are now judges, right? <clears throat> yes, it's true. And judges are just people. Yeah, they have friends too. And you know what? <laughs> there are a lot of judges who have very little family law experience, and they rely on us. So we can help educate a judge in this process. And if they know us, and know us outside of work to a certain extent, they trust us. And they're going to be like, yeah, if Tracy and Susan are saying something is the case, they know that we're not we're not being conniving or sneaky or whatever. We're really putting forward the facts of the case. If you're part of the Lady Lawyer League, we trust you in court. <laughs> um, so once the case gets filed and we now we know who our judge is, at least, and there sometimes there may not be a, an attorney on the other side either throughout the whole case for weird reasons um, or just there may not be an attorney right away. But then, yeah, the next thing that could happen is a temporary hearing. Yes. So what happens at the temporary hearing? Well, a temporary hearing is a hearing to determine, like, what I would like, I say to clients is, like, intermediate issues, issues that need to be dealt with on a temporary basis until the case can be finalized. And so our judges will decide temporary custody, um, parenting time, so like the schedule for the kids, whether or not there should be um, temporary child support, and how expenses for kids will be shared or split, including daycare. That's a big expense that parents face. And also issues of like the home, if, they're, if the parties are separating, um, is one going to stay in the house? And if they're staying in the house, are they paying 100% of the bills? Or are, the, are they going to be split? Is there going to be alimony on a temporary basis? Um, and I, maybe even a t- temporary attorney's fees. I think those I think are the, most of the issues. I think the big question and the big surprise that a lot of clients have at this stage, so like shortly after you're filing the complaint, maybe up until a temporary hearing, which sometimes can be somewhere two to six weeks after a filing, the biggest confusion that clients have is, a judge can't kick my spouse out of the house? Oh my gosh, we have to keep living together while we're going through a divorce? And the answer is, yeah, maybe, and yes, probably. And so there's a lot of um, confusion around that idea that judges don't really have the big ability to make someone have to move out of a house. And so oftentimes we'll talk to our clients about if you want to no longer live together, sometimes you have to make the decision yourself and be in control of that own, um, your independence. And I think, you know, this is where people's emotion overrides like what they know. And the reason that judges are wary to kick people out of a house is because it's jointly owned. The house is owned by both parties. And ultimately, the judge will decide either the parties will agree on something or the judge will decide what happens to that asset. And if the judge is deciding it, you know, like you said, two to six weeks into the case with very little information, they'd, they're they wary of making someone have to take on the expense and the stress of finding their own place to live. 
Yeah, and some of the exceptions are when there's um, provable domestic violence, which often can be very difficult to prove, but there's some exceptions to what's called exclusive use of the home, where a judge can order one person to move out. So, But often judges say, I don't have the ability to make this other person move out, and part of the temporary hearing as well is talking about finances. And you often are going from one household with shared income to potentially two households with each having their own income. Or if one person's the only person working, now you're having two households with one income. And so oftentimes, just budget-wise, it may not be possible to have more than one household with the money there is. Yeah. So I, the other thing I think that's important to mention for temporary hearings is a temporary hearing is not like a trial. It's not like on TV where there's a witness in the witness stand and the judge swears them in and they tell their story. A temporary hearing is done with affidavits only. And so, you know, I think we find a lot that our clients and the people that they get to write affidavits, people will put something on paper that they might not be willing to walk into an open courtroom and say. So they start saying some pretty negative things. Um, and this is where the it gets really hard because somebody might think they're going into a divorce respectfully, you know, we're gonna be able to work this out, and then the other person brings up every... Are you describing mudslinging? <laughs> yes. Are you describing throwing someone under the bus? Every, like every negative thing, like, oh, every time that person was late to pick the kids up from school. Which was or, like two times for two minutes late. Yeah. Or they had to work late and they missed a soccer game. All of a sudden, they never participate in the They kids. missed the soccer game because they didn't want to get served. <laughs> but they, you know, it's like everything that, you know, you normally as humans forgive each other for doing is all of a sudden, you know, a red check mark. And that person has... And the person that wasn't keeping score starts to feel really bad that they weren't keeping score. And I think the good thing is that most of our judges can see between those lines, really, um, and kind of weed out the maybe over-dramatization of some of those things. Um, But this temporary phase and this stage one of a divorce process really is the highest emotional piece of a divorce, typically. Yes. And so when we talk about this process with our clients, we often will suggest that they either continue working with a therapist that they have been working with or that they establish a relationship with a therapist. Um, I think we've talked about before that we can, be, can, we can be called counselors of the law, but we are not good at it. We can listen, but we are not. Wait, we are good counselors of the law. Right. <laughs> We're not good counselors. Yeah, so... I think that the biggest takeaway of, you know, stage one of a divorce is take things one at a time, right? When you're looking at stage one and this temporary hearing phase, we're not talking yet about what's happening with retirement accounts. Like, that will come. Nothing's going to happen to them. It's going to be okay. We need to focus right now on living arrangements, bank accounts, parenting time, because all these super dramatic changes are gonna start happening. And then also having that professional help of how you're gonna cope with those things personally. So many people come into the very beginning part of the divorce and they wanna know what the end is gonna be. And not 
how to get there. They just they just think, okay, what am I going to get in the end? And you know, there's some studies that say that people think about divorce for about two years before they actually talk to a lawyer. So they've been thinking about the end for two years. Sure. But we just get presented the facts as their advocates. So we do have to remind our clients often that we need to take one thing at a time. Let's finish this temporary hearing. Then we'll talk about stage two and stage three. And reminding reminding clients too that everything is is part of the process and every you know there's certain steps that just can't be skipped you know you don't have to have a temporary hearing but you have to have service and you don't have to file a counterclaim but there needs to be an answer and certain things like that like that's our job to make sure those things happen um, in the case and then working those things to the end so that we can get a good outcome for our client. But sometimes that's like keeping them on the path instead of just rushing to that finish line. Yeah, so on the next episode, we're gonna talk about the second stage of a divorce, which is all the discovery and documents. So that's where we get to learn all about both sides of the case. How much money you spend at Taco Bell. Oh wait, that's just me. Okay, until next time, see you then. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.